Hi, this is Dusty Wells. And this is Dave Clark. And you're listening to I I Love Love to Tell Tell the Story. Having worked in the Christian music business for the last 40 years and working alongside the record companies and the artists, (laughs) let me assure you, my friends, we've got some great stories for you. And Dusty and I started about the same time in the industry, but I've been working on the other side of the street with songwriters and publishers and copyright administration. But either way, trust me, between the two of us, we know where all the bodies are buried. I hope you enjoy our show. I love love to tell tell the story. So, Dusty, this this episode is a little different from most of ours. A lot of them, you know, well-known names with a piece of history in in the story. But this today... There's not going to be total agreement on where we go. Man, no, there's not. But what I loved about the interview today is where it did go, where it yes. went. Because we, you have three guys who are all at different places in their life, and they all go to church, and they all have worship, and the way they sing. But hearing Mike Harland talk about, from a broad perspective— right. A guy who's earned the right. He has earned the right. I mean, he has helped with some of the best-selling hymnals. He's been, he's helped uh, choir music, worship music. He's helped with CCLI. But hearing it today, I'm telling you, I wish every worship pastor could hear. My prayer is that they'll all start passing this along because I'm telling you what, it was powerful. So if if I said, okay, today's episode is going to be about hymns versus worship songs, everybody's already dug their heels in, they've, they've decided, and probably assumed which way we're going to land, yeah. I think they'll be surprised. They're going to be very surprised at how it landed. I mean, it was, it was powerful, and it was, I can't wait to hear it again. <laughs> what do you say we go to the interview? Let's do it. All of our episodes up to this point have been, there's some history, there's some story, there's some warm fuzzy, there's some feel good. (laughs) There's some crying. There's some crying. (laughs) And a lot of laughing. Yes. And I'm not wanting to just stir something up, but (laughs) But, uh there is a topic that I think everybody avoids, and it's not anything to do with Republicans versus Democrats. Oh, here we go. Not not anything to do okay. with, with politics, I promise. But it's this whole idea of hymns versus worship songs. Hmm. Okay, Dave, I was really hoping you would do this. That, mm. That's no joke. I was just got in my car to drive over here, and I thought, man, I'm excited about being with Mike Harlan, but I thought, I hope we touch on this, because we don't, that's, I love that. I do. Oh, boy. I love that. I'm sorry. There, well, there's such a need for both. Yes. Such a need for both. My fear is that we start down this road and yeah. we're going to get a lot of reaction from people who are closed-minded yeah. to the other side of the argument. And I hate to even use the word argument. And we used to use the term worship wars. Yeah. Sure. Man. I yeah. wrote a book about that. And because you really? wrote a book about it— <laughs> I did not know that. Okay, I learned something new. And you've written three books. The most recent is called Worship Leading 101. It's a small textbook for a ministry called Church Answers that has a certificate program where you can go in and be certified in different areas of ministry responsibility. And the Church Answers people asked me to write a book that uh, a cor- two courses actually came out of the book. And so you can watch uh, videos of me teaching, and then the book is a companion product for this uh 
for the for the uh, associate program they've got. Okay, so I didn't know that. You've got us with a really smart person here today. Exactly. Mm. But but here's the deal. I think the three of us can talk yeah, about this because too. we have feet in both lanes. Yeah. And if I were trying to think of an authority on this who's yes. not biased, right but there. probably feels some of the same things that our listeners do and some of the things you and I feel, yeah. Yeah. it would be Mike Harlan. Mm, yeah, I mm. agree. Well, and you know, we know, and you'll, I'm sure you'll tell the people his history. He was with one of the leading, leading worship resource centers. I mean, Lifeway Worship. Uh, I mean, he's thousand, not just Baptist churches, all kinds of churches bought those resources. So, yes. and Mike ran that. Mike not not only ran it, but th- if there was a story in the in the news yesterday about the San Francisco 49ers quarterback whether he's a team manager. Yeah. Or, did you see that? Yeah. And yeah, Brock Purdy. Yes. Yeah. But what Mike did when he came in there, I'm not saying it was broken before, no. but it took on his personality. Oh. That was 2000? 2005. Yeah. 2005. Okay. And, you know, I met Mike probably around that time. About that time. I was at Word, yeah. and I do remember there being such, and I'm, I'm not just patronizing you, Mike. Mm-hmm. He's open to that. Uh, no, I know. <laughs> but I remember our team at Word at that time, who also had a big publishing yeah, part. Sure. We, but we had a great partnership with Life. We did. I, I love I those worked, guys. I worked with them for 20 some odd years. Mike had that heart yes. mm. that is so important in our industry. Mm. And um, even more amazing is he still had it when he left there he, 18 he, years later. He sure did. I sure hope so. No, he did. So so my favorite, I'm, I'm, I met Mike through Greg Nelson, who was on our, yeah, our yeah. podcast a few weeks back. And uh, come to find out, a lot of people have been telling Mike, you need to get to know Dave Clark. Oh, yeah. I like him. And I was getting the same thing about Mike Harlan. So you kind of know, well, it can't He's be He's not good. as old as you. <laughs> no, I'm not. Well, nobody is. <laughs> I remember no, Dave Clark songs when I was just a little boy. Yeah, yeah, me you know, too. I grew up, up on I, him. I mean, I grew up First on grade him. choir, we were doing Dave Clark songs. You know. So we we finally meet, and uh, Lil and us, who I was with, yeah. they they were distributed by Lifeway. So yep. we got to sit in meetings, and, yeah. and uh, Mike and I taught a lot of classes together. We did. And we at, over at Liberty. Yeah, Liberty University. I and bought you a shirt one you time. You bought me a shirt. Yeah. I, still, I still have it. That's the only awesome. thing you ever bought me. I didn't like the shirt, but it, it meant so much that he bought it. I just. Um, here, here's my favorite Mike story. Uh oh. Uh oh. Here goes. And I, I have a list, but. Why did I agree to do this? <laughs> uh, this is. We'll the, get there. You'll get through it. We're getting there. We'll yeah, get through you will. It. You will. So we were at a conference uh, several years back. <laughs> And our company was there, and I was up on the platform presenting some new product. I knew that while I was on the platform, several people from our company were being let go while I was on the platform. Mm. Some of them were there with mm. me. Yeah. I walked off the platform, and my heart was broken. I couldn't yeah. do anything about it. I didn't have anything to do with the decision. Walked off the platform and my phone literally was exploding that the word had spread that fast. Mm-hmm. And almost every message was, What happened? Yeah. You know how it's yeah, our turn nature. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And then there was a message from Mike Harlan. Mm-hmm. It was a text. Mm-hmm. It said, I don't know what happened, but I just want you to know my team is your team and mm-hmm. as long as you need it. 
and he invited me down for their weekly devotions with his. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was technically a competitor. Yeah. And that was the real Mike Harlan. Yeah. Mm. Pastor's heart. Yeah. Wow. Pastor's heart. Well, one of the things I loved about you, Dave, from the beginning when I first met you, was you. You're right, and technically we were competitors. Yeah. Uh, but but we felt more like teammates. I mean, we just yeah. did, uh, and 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 I guess really, we we were teammate, teammates because we were working on a larger team, not just right. our companies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but yeah, I remember. I remember that that I remember when that happened. That that was hard, and you know, at Lifeway we ran we yeah. ran through some of the same sure things did. where sure. we had to make yeah. hard decisions, and uh, mm. yeah, I'll have to say. Dusty, you, you're going to know Mike a lot better by the time this, this is over. I can't wait. I've always <laughs> wow. loved him, so I admired wow. him and appreciated him, so I'm excited about mm. this. So when we talk about songs of the church, everybody, you know, and a lot of times they say, well, it's it's generational. This, this generation, they're only going to like hymns ever. Hmm. And this generation, they're never going to like hymns. I could get caught into that discussion and, and write it as far as you guys want to write it, but I would love to steer it more toward what makes a good song. And I think if we can talk about it from that point, wherever it goes, wherever the discussion goes, I just am a believer that, you know, you can say, well, yes, the hymns are outdated and, and everybody's got their own opinion about that. And and there are more current music styles. Yeah. But I also think part of what made those songs last two or 300 years in some cases was the unique combination of craft uh, theory mm-hmm. and theology. Yeah. There was so much imagery in some of those early songs. And I'm going to throw this out there, and, and then I want, I want to hear what you guys have to say about it. But I hear songs that uh, I'm watching a service online or I'm in the sanctuary, and I, I hear a song and I go, I can't even get to the point if it's a good or bad song because I can only sing yeah. this mm-hmm. section. Of it. Well, I agree. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. So, I so totally I've agree. become now an observer to the yeah. worship. Yeah, I, that's happened to me numerous times because I'm such a song man. You know that about right. me. I mean, I love heart songs. I love those songs that move us, that challenge us, and it's because I've gotten to travel and work with some of the greatest songwriters. So I do. I, I love that. But there's been numerous times as of the last few years that I and I go to a great, wonderful church, great music program. But I'll walk in, and I'll watch them do a song like. Blessed assurance, how great they are. Mm-hmm. Something that is, you know, it's written from experience. You know, or the or the or, or a new song, shout to the Lord, darling, mm-hmm. check, powerful song. But then all of a sudden, I'll hear them go into a, a newer song. This is nothing against the newer writers or the new. And I think what it, it there's not one, and I it's just no place to land. There's no place to land. I have some theories about this. I I can't wait. Love to hear them. Well, I I'll tell you something that changed my whole perspective about types of songs and and songs that live and don't live uh, past their own uh, era, I firmly believe that every song has value, even yeah. bad songs do. Mm-hmm. I think I've heard I tell, some of what you've written. <laughs> thank you. But <laughs> okay. I tell, well, I tell writers all the time, I, I go, you, you might have to write some bad songs to get to the mm-hmm. ones that you're supposed mm-hmm. to write. Every song has value. Yep. yep. And mm-hmm. every song is worth writing. Right. But not every song's worth singing, and and not every song is going to live beyond its context when it's written. But when we did, and Greg Nelson, your guest a few episodes back, 
uh, was my creative director when we did what Lifeway came to call the Worship Project, right. which was a creation of a website. But one of the anchor products of the Worship Project was a new Baptist hymnal. Uh, and so to go through the process of looking at 5,000 titles, and we aggregated 5,000 titles wow. from every English hymnal we could find across denominations, and we had this master list of 5,000 titles. And one of the first decisions we made when we were going to do the, the new hymnal was we did not want this hymnal to be motivated by a publishing outcome. Wow. Most hymnals are. Right. Yeah. If, if you've ever wondered, if anybody's ever wondered, how did these hymns we've never heard of get in our hymnal? Yeah. Well, the reason they did is your publisher, whoever published the hymnal, ran out of copyright budget mm. <laughs> to include mm. outside copyrights, yeah. and they needed a percentage of the hymnal that they could either owned outright or was public domain, but that they controlled the copyright. And so they, uh, the publishers would have a lot of blank pages that needed hymns on them, and they couldn't license anymore, and there weren't any others public domain they wanted, so they started writing hymns. And what we wound up with, at least in the Baptist tradition, is we had hymnals that half of the hymns in it nobody ever sang. Yeah, right. So yep. when Greg and I were sitting down, and Ken Barker was a big part of this, Terry Terry was a big part of that team. Love those guys. Yeah, you love those Great guys. guys. And those guys from Word. Yeah, so so, yeah. yes. so we're looking we're looking at that. And um, as a matter of fact, we used to say our tagline, Lifeway, the new word. But anyway, that was, a, you got, uh, that was you, a joke. But you all had some great people. You did. We had some great people. Jim Gibson you know, oh, came. great people. Great so people. Um, so that's all good. Right. But, but, but we, said, we said, we want this to be a hymnal that's not 50% songs nobody's ever heard. We want it to be a hymnal full of what the church is singing. Right. We also didn't want to be prescriptive. We didn't want to produce a hymnal and say to the church, now this is what you ought to sing. Right. We didn't feel like that was our decision to make. But there we was wanted, a time in the industry when companies did that. For sure. And mm -hmm. and I think the Baptist Sunday School Board would have to say, yes, we did too. But um, So we said, we're going to do a hymnal of what the church is singing. Mm. And, and I always had this in the back of my mind. A, a music anthropologist is going to pick this book up 100 years from now, Jesus Terry's. What is this book going to say about what we believe right. and what mattered to us in worship wow. to people that we'll, we will never know? What will it say? Wow. How will it represent? Mm -hmm. and, and I had people telling me, hey, you know people will do doctoral dissertations on this hymnal. And I went, mm -hmm. I don't even want to think about that. Yeah. Do you know that that's been proven to be true? I get interviewed probably 10 times a year wow. from people who are doing research projects on the hymnal. And I'm getting these guys calling me saying, why did you put this song? Why didn't you put that song? We actually sent it out to over 500 uh, seminary leaders, music professors, uh, ministry leaders, publishers, and we said, rank all these hymns. Uh, and, and from that, we built a list. We went from 5,000 to 1,000 to 800, and the hymnal wound up with 674 <laughs> And then we came down to things like we don't have enough things about communion. We don't have enough things. Mm -hmm. So then we had to start 
And then what's the Christmas section look like? Yeah. I'm telling you, I would have paid a lot more attention in seminary if I'd known I was going to put a hymnal together someday. Because it's one of the most arduous. Yeah. It's like, think about a Lego set with 5,000 pieces. I mean, that's what this right. was. And that's why I was so grateful for Ken Barker, who had done the great hymnal Word which, Did, which, Celebration. Celebrate, which is a wonderful hymnal. Yep. Which is yep. yes, great. the standard. A standard yep. and yes. then, it's a great hymnal. Yep. A wonderful hymnal. And then, and then somebody like Greg and Terry Terry, who's a yeah. uh, musicologist, Ph.D., yeah. And and Ken Barker, the editor of Hall of Fame, you know. Wow. So that was we had the dream team to do you this did. with, Man. and 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 that process helped me look at songs differently than I, I looked bet. at it before, because I began to look at something and go, here here's the problem with all of this, we're so myopic in how we look at songs. We think there weren't any before we were born. Right. Yeah. And mm. and 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 we also think. Uh, in the modern era, we, we can fall into the production of songs and get yeah. to the degree right. where our production so overwhelms the songs themselves. And what we've gotten so good oh, at man. is actually masking really average songs that Absolutely. don't say anything. That is and so that's not true. just in church music. No. Yeah. That's no. just, We're masking yes. really bad writing. Yes. Lazy writing. Lazy writing with phenomenal production and by the way the phenomenal production used to be just 16th street in nashville tennessee yeah, yeah. now the college kids that's the music associate at the medium-sized church has as much technology yes. on his mac pro book yeah. as music row used to have in every studio yes. yep. or on their phone yeah that's so the, the production levels have gone way up in the quality of song and what that's given us is a whole glut of songs that will not live I'm not trying to be no, Debbie Downer here. No, you are so but right. But these songs will not be no, sung 100 no, years from now. They're no. not distinctive right. enough. Right. Yeah. I totally And agree. they don't have enough in them to survive. No. So, okay. so, so I yeah. wonder, though, sometimes back when I was starting to write, uh, and Dusty, you, you remember that era. Oh, yeah. But we wrote trying to intentionally write a song that would still be around 30 or 40 yeah. years. Yeah. Yeah. You know. You know, you don't think about 100 or 200 years, but uh, and, and some of those are still hanging around. I'm not convinced that that's the goal of a lot of younger writers. So uh, they the no. want to work in the moment. They wrote it out of the moment that they felt it. And all that's, like you said, all that's great. I don't think the goal is what it was. Well, let me tell you another, re another thing that causes that, mm. I think. This is my humble opinion, which I highly regard. So, yeah, you I've read your book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Part of the problem is the path of a song has yeah. changed drastically. Oh, so way. for we a song to yes. wind up in the church yeah. uh, fifty years ago, it had to pass all kinds yeah. of tests yeah. over and over yeah. and over and over. It had to win a lot. Let, let's let's even make it more recent than that. Let's go to nineteen ninety. For that 1990 song to find its way to be sung in a church, mm -hmm. it had to be written. It, an A&R director had to love it. Yep. A producer had to love it. Right. The artist who probably didn't write on it, because artists really weren't writing that much then, so not true. most artists. Right. So they're so looking true. for outside sources. Yep. So they might have 30 or 40 songs that they're looking at to pick 10 or 12. It's got to win that contest to get recorded, and then it makes its way into the record. 
and then rec- radio hears it. Right. It's got to win that contest. They're going picking that sure. one, that one, that one. Yeah. So the, it's got to pass the publisher test, the A&R test, the artist test, the producer test, the radio test. Then the church hears it on the radio, and we yeah. go, we want to sing that. Yeah. Well, then a company like Word or Littleness or Brentwood Benson or Lifeway, then it, it's got to pass a whole lot of more tests, and then finally the anthem comes out. So by the time the choir walks out on a Sunday morning and sings that song, that song has gone down a process where it's been tested a whole bunch of times. Now the guy writes the song on Friday afternoon and leads it in his church on Sunday morning. So it doesn't have to pass any test. All the way. That is, oh man. It doesn't have to pass any test. They just know they wrote a song. Yeah. We cut a song mm. for a choir anthem a couple weeks ago and you have to get permission. So we go to the publisher and an arranger brought it to me and said, this is great. Listen to this. And I really liked it. I said, let's cut it. We go to the publisher to get permission. And they said, I won't tell you the writer's name, but they said, where did you hear this? They haven't turned this in yet. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And it was, a, it was a big name worship Isn't writer. Isn't something, though? So they gave us permission on a song they had yet to hear, but we saw it on a video yeah. that they'd put on YouTube. Yeah. And it, and and you know what? I hate when somebody says, yeah. "You got to cut this song." It's had yeah. two million YouTube yeah. views. No, I'm going. No. That doesn't mean no, anything. No. I totally agree. I just heard a big worship leader who I love at a big concert say, "I'm going to try out a new song tonight on you." He said, and, and he actually said from stage, he said, "Now even my company has not heard this song." Yeah. I I thought to myself honestly. How many churches will sing that song on Sunday? Or if there's a music pastor here, the 2,000, 3,000 people, they're going to take that, sing it, right. and um, it'll be a new song. Yeah. It'll be something new. And, like now, can I add something here just yeah. for this sure? This is good. Um, there is a place for those kinds of songs yeah. that yeah. Don't, won't live beyond us. Yeah. There is a place yeah. for them. But it, it shouldn't be assumed that that's in corporate worship. True. True. It shouldn't be assumed that because it feels good in this moment, that right. it's going to work with this whole congregation. Right. So Context is everything. Yes. And there's a time when a song makes sense and we'll do it here and now for us. And it's not. it doesn't need to ever be sung 100 years from now. It doesn't. Right. It, it, it had its moment. Right. It yeah. did what it was yeah. supposed to do. Yeah. Uh, but the songs that we're after, the ones that we, we want to pass down generationally, they've got to be better. Yeah. Or they don't deserve yes. to be passed I down totally generationally. Agree. And yes. and and that's yeah. where the craft and and you know what and the thing is this is the way I categorize songs whenever I teach this in songwriting stuff. I categorize songs in three categories. And I think all of these are legitimate. Good. And when I say a song is good, yeah. it's true. It it's has some basic structure to it. it. You know, you listen to it it's good. But a good song requires a great performance mm. to be really awesome. A song that can be great, it's still true. It doesn't have to require as great a... And by the way, the good song, you're always going to tell the song story why why you wrote it. If a writer that shares a good song, and the reason they do that is because they don't trust the song to be good enough to matter, so they've got to give you a story to go with it. So, yeah. I'm about to take an offering, doesn't I know, yeah. Yeah, so, so... I'm writing I find myself as a writer, if I feel like I've got to explain the song I'm about to sing, it's probably I'm probably not shouldn't sing the song yet, but if the song can't speak for itself. So good, great. And the third category I call commercial, uh, universal. Uh, the good song's got to be sung by 
by the guy that tells his story and his mama and his home church loves it. The great song might have a little bit of audience in that. But the universal song, somebody across the world can hear it singing in a language it wasn't even written yeah. in, and it works, and it's because the song itself has an innate quality about it that transcends the context that it was written in. And, and that's what we don't have. That's why I'm right. not hopeful that many of the songs that are dominating our worship uh, things that are happening won't live beyond us because outside their current context, they don't have enough life about them to live. Yeah. And so the, when the, when the yes. pendulum swings any direction, it will shut down that song's life. So let me ask you a question. Yeah. In the hymnal that you did at Lifeway, that came out in what, what year? 2008. 2008. Do you remember what was the most current copyright that was in that? Oh, that's a great question. Um, the hymnal had 12 Getty Townend songs in it. So those would have been the newest. And wow. Keith Getty yeah. would tell you, if you ever have him as a guest, you can ask him this. If he refutes this, then I've misrepresented him. But Keith credits that hymnal with bringing his music to America. So yeah. list a couple of uh, those songs. That... Power of the Cross, was in, in Christ, Christ Alone, Christ Christ there. Alone. Yeah. Uh, Speak, O Lord. Wow. Um, Twelve. Twelve of yeah. them. Uh, and and I'd say not in Christ alone per se, but probably it. And you, but you know what? We have got some Brenton Brown in there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Everlasting yeah. God is in that hymnal. So you, uh, you indescribable were out on a, is in yeah. that hymnal. So you, you were out were, on a limb though. Yeah. A little bit. Oh little yeah, bit. I would say that. To say, I'm I'm gonna guess that these are gonna be. Yeah. Oh, we guessed for sure. And you know what? I've got I've got some regrets about it. I'll never tell anybody what they are. Mm, no, no but, this, that's why we invited you here. <laughs> there's some songs in the hymnal I wish weren't there. Do, are there any Mike Harlan songs in there? There are two, and it's not because I put them in there. Somebody I else. actually, no, I'll tell you the story. No, I, I want to tell you the this. story. I love it. I did not feel like I had anything that should be in there. Um, and the reason is because, remember, the criteria was we want to sing songs, put songs in this hymnal. The church is singing. Yeah. Right. Well, at that time, my writing is all about the choir loft it's about the artists that yeah. I wasn't writing a lot of songs for church, the church to sing. I really hadn't written any modern hymns to speak of. And, and, but my executive, the process was the big group, the smaller group. I had a team of about mm, a theological team. And I think my executive selection team was, I want to say eight people, Greg Nelson, Ken Barker was on that. Me, Terry, Terry, uh, a couple, couple uh, other people. Um, and those guys came to me. Ken Barker probably was the guy that said, Mike, every general editor of any hymnal that's been published in the last our lifetime has had has been represented as a creative in there. Mm. And we've got to find we need at least one from you, maybe Even two. Even if it's not very good. Even right? if well, <laughs> I'll let other people judge it. So Ken is the one who said, you know, the song Bow the Knee is really widely known. It's more known as a choir anthem. But Ken said Let's put Bow the Knee in there, um, and we put the chorus of it. And then I wrote this hymn years ago when I was at Synergy with Amy Susan Foster. I don't know if you know Amy's my name. Dear. Great writer. Yep, Lives down in Columbia. Now, we got to get her writing again. Amy, are you listening to this? You need to be writing again. Uh, mm -hmm. We wrote a hymn together called To the Lamb Upon the Throne, and it, it's, I would say that one stands up. It, that should be. But we didn't put it in there because people were singing it. We put it in there because they wanted my name in there as a creative. So I give so. you a hard time 
But yeah. I don't know the second one, but yeah. Dusty, do you remember Bow the Knee? I do. I was just sitting thinking, I remember when you guys were working on this hymnal. That, I mean, I remember this. Tell, I remember tell, us, tell us a story, because I know just the Lilness Anthem, I think, sold 300,000 copies, Goodness which is unbelievable. Well, wow. Tell you us the story You remember Bill it. Rayburn? Yeah. Uh, Church Music Report? Yeah. He told me one time, and, and whether or not... This could ever be verified, but he told me "Bow the Knee" was the third highest selling anthem ever, wow. that behind start. "Majesty and Glory," and wow. "I Have Seen the Light." Wow! "Bow the Knee" was third, and it, the reason was is because Lilness did it, Word did it, and Lifeway did it, and all three went number one. Yeah. And the the Word one and the Lilness one were out at the same time. So yeah. while Lilness was selling three hundred, Word was too, yeah. and then Lifeway came. It was done so many times, and all of them worked so so tell us the story behind it. i've heard yeah. it but i want dusty yeah. to hear it. uh chris machin uh is the co-writer of that and i had loved chris's music chris and diane were writing great yeah. songs i love chris and by the way chris wrote co-wrote i've seen the light so two of those three <laughs> two of those yeah. three are chris wow. machin you know rob sterling would say that chris was just in the room but i mean chris <laughs> was the co-writer of i've seen the light Rob's uh, not here, so he's we can, not here. We can he's not we're... definitely not going to listen to this. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love Rob. Oh, he's right. Maybe he will now. I, I, might, be, I might be slow. Look, look, listen, I'm still in awe of Rob Sterling. I, I still can't believe that I've gotten to work with him. And Luke Garrett was the reason. But um, I, I love Chris's, Chris and Diane's music. And my wife and I do a lot of duets, and they had a lot of duets, and so we sang a lot of Chris and Diane songs. And Niles Borup, my publisher at mm. the time set it up. He he knew Chris personally. I didn't know Chris. We went to the same seminary, but he was gone before I started. We weren't classmates, but uh and Niles set it up that I was gonna meet with Chris Machin. We were gonna write together. And I was thrilled. I was awestruck that I was gonna get to write with Chris Machin. Well um I was flying out I was living in Jackson, Mississippi at the time. I was flying to Nashville the next morning. Southwest used to have this direct flight to Nashville and I loved it. And I was gonna fly to Nashville on Sunday night after church and meet with Chris on Monday morning, and we were going to ride together. So I get on the plane. I'd been, I'd been at church all day long. I get on the plane late Sunday night, and Chris is on the plane. Now, Chris lives in Dallas, hmm. but I found out later he had done a concert in Jackson at another church that night, and he's flying to Nashville to write with me. Wow. Well, I recognize him. That's he doesn't know so me funny. from Adam All-Fox, but I recognize <clears> Chris. It's Southwest flight, no assigned seat. So I just plopped down next to him said, Chris Machen. He said, yeah, who are you? Mike Arnold. We're going to write together in the morning. Great. <laughs> so we just start talking. And, you know, well, you went to New Orleans. Did you have so-and-so for theory and all that? And I did too. And we had, and in the flight, it's not a long flight from Jackson to Nashville. During the flight, 9 o'clock at night, this loud explosion happens. And the plane goes into a nosedive. Mm. Now, it probably was about 10 seconds worth of panic. That felt like three minutes. Oh, I don't know yeah. if this ever happened to you. Oh yeah, oh, and the, my but God. the plane is out of. It's like yeah. boom, and you're, and people uh, are screaming, and yeah. Chris is screaming like a girl, <laughs> and and grabbing my leg and all that. I mean, we were in this. We thought we're gonna die, and uh, and then it levels out, comes back up, and it's kind of normal. The pilot comes on and says, "Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we were just struck by lightning," and. Wow. Uh, and and he says, but everything's fine. All the systems came back. It just was temporary <laughs> interruption. Everything, oh of course, it knocked it off all of it and all of that. That's oh what happened. Gosh. It happened. And so for the rest of the flight, we're just like, well, okay. You know? <laughs> so the next morning, we go in, and it was Chris's idea. He walks in with, how about a song called "Bow the Knee," 
And so I go to the keyboard, and I remember the first verse was written in two minutes. You know, it was one of those, there are moments in our journey following the Lord where God illumines every step we take, da 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 So bow the knee, trust the heart. Now, I can almost, I can tell you, we wrote it in an hour, probably the tops, and we bring Niles in, we play it for Niles, and none of us knew what God had given us. We didn't know. I'm telling you, if you'd asked me or Chris, we would have said, ah, we wrote a song today. Nothing special. A month later, I'm in Baptist Hospital in Jackson, Mississippi, and my wife's having a biopsy. And it's real late at night. The surgeon put her on the end of his day, surgery day and just put her on the end, but this was something she was uncomfortable with. Let's do a biopsy. And he walks in at 11.30 at night, Baptist Hospital, and says, it's cancer. And uh, I walk out in the hall, and I start singing the chorus of Bow the Knee. Bow the knee, trust the heart of your Father when the answer goes beyond what you can see. Bow the knee, lift your eyes toward heaven, and believe the one who holds eternity. And, and that song became the song. Now, here's what I learned from that, is that God gives you what you need before you need, before it, you need it and when you need right. it. And then the other thing I learned is my life will test my lyrics. Um, okay, yeah. that, that line. We'll say it again, so, Mike. Well, mm -hmm. my life will test my lyrics. And I wow. learned that as a writer, but I also yeah. learned it as a minister, yeah. as a singer. Yeah. You want yeah. to get up and preach that message on yeah. dying to self? Yeah. Are you ready to die to self? Wow. You want to get up, you want to sing that song about in Christ alone will I glory? You know, we heard that the other day, the beautiful song. Yeah. Uh, mm. Uh, all right so yeah so so i learned that my life was going to test my lyrics and i tell you what i i started taking songwriting more seriously after i saw after i wrote bow the knee and then had to live bow the knee i started taking songwriting a lot more seriously i always have a dotty ramble thing yeah after spending 18 years I mean, one of my favorite Dottie Ramble songs was You'll Have to Live the Song. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Before you can write the song, you mm -hmm. have to live the song. A true song that's going to let So you say you want to write a song. Well, guess what? You're going to have to write this. Well, maybe we're stumbling back into this whole idea about the nature of the modern yeah. song. Yeah. That's, is this a song that's being written for yeah. effect? Yeah. Or is it a song that's being written out of experience? Yeah. That's where I was headed and, with this. Yeah, that's yeah, that, that's that's the that's the, a great question to ask. And when you when you talk to multiple people, I mean, they'll tell you what 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 moves you the most it's those songs from life experience. Yes. At least in my when I talk to an artist about recording a song, what are you seeing out there? Well, when I sing this song because I've walked through that place or when I look at this song or I talk to this person, they want those songs that that reach deep inside them from yeah. experience. Yeah. So and they singers can, want to sing those songs. And they want to sing those songs. Yeah. And from a writer's standpoint, I always talk to young writers about a song that's written on different levels of yep. listening. Yep. Hmm. Because I want there to be something that they can get the first time they hear it and sing yes. back. Yes, yep. But then the second time, I want them to go, ha, ha. Yeah. 
And then the third time they go, I didn't even see that. Yep. Yep. Somebody asked me one time, what's your best example of a worship song? You know, you've been there, Mike, because you're going through it. That's a tough. In your your case, a lot more years than me, but you're going through, you know, all the Rolodex in your mind. And the the place where I landed, and the more I've thought about it, the more I still can't talk myself out of this answer. But it's a song called Immortal Invisible. Yeah. Now it's that's from the late probably nineteenth century. Sure. But you break down that lyric. There's so much poetry in it yep. and great theology. And then mm. you break down that chord structure. Yeah. You can't sit and, and, and just play that by ear. You there's a there's a level of craftsmanship in that melody. Yep. And then you look at all of it together and you go. That's as good example as I know of, of a worship lyric. Yeah, it oh, is. it's incredible. It yeah. is. I remember the first time I heard it. Cynthia Clausen read it. I, that, just, I, I remember sitting in the studio and then oof. playing Cynthia. And that was the name of the album. Um, it was. And Cynthia Clausen, Immortal Invisible. And I grew up because I grew up Pentecostal. We yeah. didn't sing that type of song. Yeah. Nothing. But when she sang it, I thought it came to life. It man. was powerful. And I remember people worshiping in the studio. <laughs> And know, here's a song that's a, a hymn So here's here's an interesting thought. Maybe the reason those lyrics stood up so much from that era is because they had to. Today's mm. lyrics don't have to stand up right. because mm. of the super musical production wow. and packaging of songs. Right. And those many of those lyrics were written completely separately from the music. That's yeah. why you, in the hymnal, you see all these two names that yeah. are associated with lyrics. And the lyrics were often written by, by well, think about a guy like Isaac Watts, mm. a pastor mm. who wrote lyrics. As a matter of fact, all of the Wesleyan hymns, which, you know, in the Nazarene tradition is filled with the Wesleyan hymns. I'll give you a little trivia. The first Baptist hymnal ever published was published in 1904, the first Southern Baptist hymnal, I should say. And it there was not a church music department at the Baptist Sunday School Board. So how did Baptists make a hymnal in 1904? Well, the Methodist Publishing House made it. Wow. Now, that's a very... Did that's, I say this out loud? Yeah, that's, yeah. All right, so you want to know why Baptists sing a lot of Wesleyan hymns? Because the Methodists made our first hymnal. Wow. Wow. All right, but the Wesley brothers were preachers. Now, here's the question. The, the great hymns were written by preachers. Sure. So the question is not why aren't today's songwriters preachers. The question is why aren't today's preachers songwriters Yes. <laughs> so, uh, why, what makes a Fanny Crosby lyric yeah. sit up mm, like yes. that? Like, no matter because what. she was unencumbered yep. by, by a, yes. a defined approach to worship. Yep. Yep. She, she was coming from a different place. And, that, and that's why I think we are risking. Won't it be sad 100 years from now when somebody, if the Lord tarries, somebody is putting together a group of songs for the church to sing. Maybe they're not publishing another hymnal, but somebody's going to be producing something somewhere. It's probably all digital. Who knows? But uh, And they'll look inside this generation and, and name five of them that will be alive 100 years from now. And that's going to be hard to... Sure. So, so 
I don't normally show up to these interviews like having done any research. We just kind of it's a conversation. It's so yep. good. But today I did something before you you guys got here. I went on CCLI. <laughs> now, Mike, explain what CCLI is. Uh, Christian Copyright Licensing International uh, is the company my friend Howard Richinsky started yeah. almost 40 years ago now. So when, when yeah. people are at church and they see at the end, they should see when they show a, a lyric on the number. screen, they see a CCLI yep. number. Yep. Yep. And that is their way of tracking who's using what song yep. and all that. Yep. Yep. Let me throw this in about CCLI, which you'll find interesting. Okay. Uh Howard is a worship was a worship pastor in Portland, Oregon, and he's running off transparencies every Sunday of Maranatha songs for his church to sing. Gosh. And while he's doing it, he's asking himself, "Is this legal?" Mm. And he calls Maranatha. I've heard I heard Chuck Fromm tell this story. I've heard wow. Howard tell it many times. He calls Maranatha, uh, Howard, who, <clears throat> and says, "We're doing this. Can is this legal?" And Maranatha says, "No, it's not legal." Well, how can we make it legal? We don't know. Wow. And and so they wow. started trying to figure out how to apply some sort of license for this guy to reproduce lyric. And that was Howard went, was well, somebody's gotta do something about this. And he, he, and he invented did. CCLI to answer that question. And it's still one of the most confusing things in churches <laughs> that they go, well, I think we bought a license for, yeah. so we can just yeah. do anything we want because we bought <laughs> yeah. Okay, but here's here's what I did. On the CCLI chart, which is kind of the standard of what is the current worship song. Sure. And again, I'm not saying I'm pro or against it. I'm saying yeah. we can do better. I looked at the top 100 songs mm -hmm. today. Uh -oh. Here we go. You're not going to quiz us, are you? <laughs> and, and here's the interesting thing. Of the top, just let's just look yeah. at the top 20. Yeah, yeah. The oldest copyright. Of the top twenty of what's out right now, uh, was was back in two thousand six. Mm. The old that's further one. back than I thought it might be. Well, let me <laughs> wow. finish that thought. Wow! So you go, yes, that that is far back. You know what the song is? Uh, no, I wouldn't. It's Amazing Grace. Yeah, by Chris Tomlin. My chains are gone. My no, are gone. Oh. They, there's a there's another version out of the old hymn, and you look at the. I went through and I looked at all these copyright dates, and it was fascinating to me how many of them played off the hymns. They, oh yeah, and there's a reason no they bring them back in. Yeah. No doubt. New. And when you're in a yeah. church service, yeah. when you go into yeah. those, yeah. another one that's in the top. Uh, I think it was uh, number fifty nine of the top one hundred is because he lives. Yeah. Uh, number 69 was Victory in Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yep. But there's something about it that says it still works. Well, I'll, let me give you some more CCLI data here. Um, I was really fortunate. I mean, it, it was life-changing for me, but I was on their board for, I guess, 12 years. Mm. And, and so I got to see this up close. <clears throat> if you go back, an even more interesting thing to do, would be to go back and look at the CCLI list from when it first started. Oh, that would be interesting. And how long those songs stayed yeah. there. Majesty. Yeah. They would stay there for decades. Wow. Uh, Lord, I Lift Your Name on High was yep. number one yep. forever. Yeah. Um, all right, so, so over the years of the modern worship movement, the longevity of titles at CCLI uh, now is much shorter. Uh, a top 10 song on CCLI won't stay there three months. 
Right. And it's gone. But 30 years ago, a top 10 song would have stayed there 10 years. Okay, so here's so my question. It's fascinating. See, it's become... If the top 20 are all in the last 10 years, then what was there before that? Mm-hmm. And where yeah. are these going to be 10 years oh, from now? Mm-hmm. It oh, goes yeah. to verify what oh, you yeah. were saying yeah. earlier. Oh, yeah. Uh, so exactly I'm, right. I'm, I'm not saying, you know, it's wrong, right? Here, here's another interesting thing. And we're, we're not going to resolve this, and people no, are still no. going to think what they think. But I love the discussion. I do, too. Yeah. I do, too. I've been in two different sessions within the last year where we were recording a track and were notified that we couldn't get permission for uh, a song, which is not uncommon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd already recorded the track. Yeah. Two different arrangers both said, uh, you know what, drop this in. It will sing over the same chord progression. That's amazing. Wow. Which and is a, why they won't be member, remembered. That's why. Yes. And and I play guitar in my church. We, we do songs I love. But yeah. I a lot of people will save the chart in case they yeah. do it again. I rewrite them every week just because I want to live with it. Yeah. Yep. There are times I, I wish I could just cut and paste. Mm-hmm. I've worked with melody writers like Don Cook. And, mm-hmm. and yeah. I know we can do better. I believe it. And if it's all about accessibility, then why are we putting it in ranges that we can't sing? Yeah. Well, and here's what's interesting, too. There's been a – the musical ability of our congregations has diminished over the last couple Mm -hmm. of decades Mm -hmm. because they didn't have to be able to sing. Right. They became such an afterthought, not literally, but – Congregations, one of the reasons congregations don't sing is they know you really don't want them to. Interesting. They, they really do know. They can tell. They can tell by the lighting. They can tell you by the. They can tell by the key. Gosh, that is so good, Mike. They that can tell by so the key. Good. They can tell by the stage. Mm. They can tell by the haze. They can tell by the. They can tell by what the worship leaders are wearing. Watch me worship. They can tell oh, by the volume gosh. level that that yeah. you are here to watch something. You're not here to do something. Wow. And and. And so congregations don't sing because they know you don't want them to. They really know. I mean, you don't have to tell them. And I'll tell you something else. When the worship team leads the worship set and goes back to the green room during the preaching. Come on. You, you <laughs> are saying to the congregation Mike. that oh. what they're doing doesn't matter. Yeah. I've got they might as well months. sell tickets uh, to it. <laughs> when you walk in, uh, listen, can it, we, this is a whole other subject, but church oh. architecture. Oh, yeah. Right. S- Tells congregations you're not here to do anything. It, you know what? Today I'm sounding like the old man. No, this I know. no. You, I'm. We need to talk. I about feel this. like yeah. I'm relevant. Yeah. This is stuff that I think nobody else thinks about. Yeah. I think. I think. All right. So think here's this. a question I asked. The I other think day, this, and I made some people mad with this question. I'm getting tickled to myself. Oh I asked this gosh. question the other day on Twitter about about three weeks ago. And it was one of those, it got real quiet. (laughs) Nobody's liked it yet. (laughs) I said, why is it we are projecting images of great cathedrals on our IMAGs and not building them? Goodness sakes. Wow. What, What does that say about what we believe about worship? Man. I've got. I'm We're not building great cathedrals. We're, we're building screen walls. Yeah, yes. we are. Yeah, we are. Yes. Yeah. yeah, we are. So, so what? What have we lost here? You know? So, in, I've not had this talk with either one of you. I went into First Baptist downtown for Sela yeah. over the holidays. Yeah. And I go to a great church, but I walked in and I just wanted to worship. Yeah. 
Yeah. The room. You, yeah. The room. The room. I tell you what, the Christians uh, in 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 the 14th, 15th, 16th oh century understood goodness. that. That's yes. why you know, here's something that was fascinating. When Notre Dame caught on fire, a building, by the way, that took a thousand years to build. Do you know within one week a billion dollars had been donated from all over the world to, to rebuild. rebuild it? In yeah. one week. I remember that. The whole world said, we cannot yeah. lose this. Yeah. And now we're, we don't think like that. We don't think aesthetically. I mean, we think experientially. Yeah. We think about what what we feel like when we worship. We're not thinking aesthetically about what our worship says about God. God. Okay. So. Oh, my goodness. So before we alienate all of our listeners. Yes. (laughs) And and you know what? On one side or the other. No, I know. uh, Here's what I would ask you, Mike. (laughs) Since it's my last time to ever do this with y'all. No, 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 it's no, not. no, no. <laughs> so good. No, I, so but good. They're, they're gonna get it. You no. bring such yeah. a great insight yes. into this. And and let me just for the for the listener, okay, so you've served in church all your life. Sure. Yep. Yep. On one level or another. You've written choral music, you've won Dove Awards yep. for in fact. We won a dub. We won one together. together. We did. You weren't there to help well, uh, get the statue. Because I'm not but... as vain as you, but no. <laughs> I, I did get a text that we'd won together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but you, you've done all that. You've written for artists. And the piece that would surprise people out of that whole resume is you're an exclusive staff writer at Daywind, yeah. which is primarily a Southern Gospel mm-hmm. company. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. So He's very you've got diverse. the whole spectrum. I'm schizophrenic yeah. Yeah. musician. Too. Yeah. So I don't want my worship leader to hear this and say, so he hates what I do, because it's not that at all. No, I love it But I would love to hear somebody like you say, okay, to that person who's maybe my age or or older or even younger, who sometimes struggles with a song. I talked to a mutual friend of ours this week, and he said, I shouldn't admit this out loud, but I go to church a half hour late every Sunday. Mm -hmm. Mm. Because it's so distracting. And I'm not sure... You want to encourage people to do that. I'm, I'm sure you don't, and he wouldn't either. But I would ask you, so what do you tell those people? How do they find that place where they can hang on and make their the worship, whatever it is, that they can make that their own unique experience? Well, I wrote a blog one time mm-hmm. about um, uh, what do you do when you hate the song? Wow. Yeah, wow. Dude, what you, you're in worship, and, they're, and it's the wrong key, and I don't like that song. You sing anyway. You do, and you do it as under the Lord. You 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 have to get spiritually to a place where that you don't allow. You're not there to serve the music, and you have to get you have to get above it and and mm. express your own worship, no matter. And I, that's just a, a discipline that you acquire. And I'm, I, you know, I, I struggle like anybody else. I mean, I'm. Yeah. There's some songs I could name them, and I when the intro starts, I just oh my gosh, I can't believe we're singing this. But I, I just as a discipline just just put myself in it and i'm going to express to the lord my worship through this um one of the, one of the things that i want to i want to put it back on worship leaders and i want to say that worship leaders bear a really really significant responsibility that they need to take very seriously i totally agree and it is this you can't lead who you wish was there <laughs> wow wow that's so good. You can't. Wow. And there are a lot of worship artists and worship leaders who are <laughs> who are leading who they wish was there and making it be something that is serving their artistry 
If you're going to be a servant of the body of Christ, you've got to get up under those people who are staying in the foyer during the music portion, and you've got to find a way to serve them too. You've right. got to be a shepherd, and you've got to lead the people that God's given you. And if that means Fanny Crosby yeah. or, or whoever, you, that, that's what shepherds do. That's, that's what shepherds do. But when, you think, when you're thinking artistically, and I was leading worship, we're not even going to say when this is being recorded because I don't need anybody to figure out what church I'm talking about. But I was in a church not very long ago uh, where my overwhelming sense was the band was enjoying this worship themselves. And they it was it did not matter that the congregation was standing and staring at them. And and they probably walked off the set thinking that went really well. Uh, but but here's a body of believers, and I'm yeah. telling you, when you look yeah. into the in the in the scripture, Old and New Testament, if you look in Hebrews chapter 10, if you look in Acts chapter 2, the last eight verses describing what the corporate church in worship looks like, it wasn't a bunch of people standing and staring at a few people doing something. Yeah. Wow. It was an engaged congregation that were expressing something in a voice that they all could participate in, multi generational. Yeah. Uh, reflective of who God is, not reflected of our artistry, but reflected of the character of the God we're here to worship. So, this this has been great. Oh my God! Um, I'm sorry, I get no, no. This y'all cracked my engine. Mike, I needed this tonight. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I would encourage any worship leader yeah. to zoom out. Yeah. From oh. what they're doing. Oh yeah. Get outside themselves, and really do a deep analysis of what they're leading and who they're leading. And if they're, you know, Mark Twain used to say, if you, if you think you're leading someone and you turn around, there's nobody behind you, you're just out for a long walk. He said it much more eloquently than that. And the other thing too, you've got to, even technically, we didn't even talk about the technical parts of this, but the way you run sound, the way you do lights is, are you serving the song? Are you serving the body? Yeah. And, and are you serving the artistry? Are you serving the body? You and I have known each other how many It years? feels like 40, but it's probably just been about 20. Yeah, yeah, it, it probably it does feel like I 40. I think it's about 20, yeah. Um, we've had some great conversations. We've uh, and, and Dusty, you get a kick out of this. Mike and I, we've written narrations for musicals. <laughs> and That's scary. Like he'll say, I'll take this song, you take that one. And the people doing it cannot tell the difference and who wrote what? Because We've we, been in the studio before on musicals when he wrote one, I wrote one, and we neither one of us could remember which one we wrote. That is that's <laughs> great. And, and when that's we great. teach together, there's an ongoing joke that when he's teaching, I'm, I'm sitting in the class because I'll be up next. I'm always listening for a hook because he he'll throw out. Yeah, I mean you've heard him talk. Yeah. You, oh, you, amazing. So, so I'm writing down stuff, and and then when I'm teaching, <laughs> he's he's, he's doing, doing the, same. the same thing. Yeah. And but I tell you about the ones I get from you. <laughs> now we were at Liberty a few years ago, and I and we were teaching a class, and I went up to him afterwards, and I said, "Man, you, you laid out something pretty good." He said, "What was it?" And I said, "If you can tell me, I'll write it with you." And could he tell you? No, no, I didn't know what I'd said. Did you write it? Absolutely. <laughs> and I wrote it with a writer that wrote for his publishing company. Yeah. So, so yeah. It's just a few weeks later, he said, "By the way, I wrote that song." <laughs> I said, "You sorry, no." So Mike and I, you know, we we've done a lot of life for only twenty years together. Yeah. Now, you've got your kids are in ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, your one one son teaches at Trevecca. John mm-hmm. is on the staff uh, at at First Baptist Hendersonville. 
Um, my daughter's husband. I don't know if you you got Dusty probably didn't know this. My daughter's husband works for Kalev. So yeah, yeah, he's the digital so guy. So you've Kalef. raised them well. Wow. Yeah. But you told me a story one time, and mm. and about your dad working at a grocery store, mm-hmm. and how God used him to impact mm. the kingdom. Do you, do you, Unbelievable. You mean you mind sharing some of that? I got dozens of those kind of stories, but and my, both my parents are still living. Mm. Uh, my dad's got dementia. So we're losing him a little bit at a time, uh, and that's that's a painful thing. There are probably people listening going through that. You, you know what that's like. I do. Um, uh, so he still knows me, uh, but he doesn't remember anything hardly. But my dad was a grocery store manager all my life. and uh, But my mom, about 20 years ago, had bypass surgery, and my job that week was I was going to be there, of course, for the surgery. But my mom wanted me to stay with my dad all week. So I stay with my dad the whole time my mom was in surgery and ICU and all the stuff, and she's doing great. But um, so I'm going around town running errands with dad. And we went into the store that my dad was the manager of all those years that I worked in when I was in high school. And the guy that manages the store now told me a story about my dad that I'd never heard before. He said, did you ever hear about your dad's, uh, you know, my experience with your dad when I was first coming here. And it and this detail is important. That guy's his his father owned that store. So this is the son of the owner of the store. My dad's the manager. Well when this guy was 19 years old, he was in trouble. His life was a mess. And he went to his dad put him in that store under my dad's leadership. And my dad uh this guy, Jeff was his name. I'll go ahead and call his first name. Jeff's not gonna be listening to this. But Jeff um, would play pranks on my dad just out of meanness. It wasn't funny pranks. It was mischievous pranks. And one morning, my dad had been gathering a bunch of stock that he was going to be putting out in displays and stuff in the afternoon. And, uh, and Jeff is telling me this story. My dad's shopping all over the store. And Jeff is telling me the story of the day that he decided to pull a joke on my dad and hide the stock that my dad would gathered all morning mm-hmm while my dad was at lunch so and just see what he would do. So when my dad comes back from lunch, Jeff had taken the whole pallet of stuff and hid it in the warehouse. And and Jeff's standing back laughing at him. He's 19 years old. And he's laughing at my dad, looking around, where is it? I know I put it here and all that stuff. And finally, my dad figured out Jeff had messed with him. And he went up to Jeff, who's the son of the owner of the store, and says, Jeff, I'm here to do a job today. And nobody's going to keep me from being able to do it. So I need you to tell me where the stuff is. I know you've done it. And Jeff told me, he showed me too. He kind of bodied up to my dad, like chest bumped him and said, what are you going to do about it, old man? Mm-hmm. And he said, before I knew it, and I, oh, I get tickled thinking about it. He said, before I knew it, I was on my back and that old man had a finger in my chest. And he said, son, you, you got to get your stuff together because you, yeah. So he gets the stuff. He goes on and works. Well, there's the part. And Jeff's crying telling me this story. He said, three days later, I went up to him, Mr. Harlan, I know my life's a mess, and I know I need to get it straightened out. And Jeff told me, your dad told me who Jesus was in the back room of that store (laughs) and led me to Christ. (laughs) Led me to Christ in the back room of that store. And and I look up, my dad's walking around with a buggy, you know, doing it. And my dad managed that store for 40 years. 
hundreds and hundreds of sack boys came through that store work for my dad. And I wish I could get them all together. My dad probably had more influence over young men than any preacher I know, but he did it as a grocery store manager. <laughs> so, Mike, this has been great to have you here. Before we close, uh, tell them a little bit about what you're doing now, maybe what's happened in the last couple of months to get you there. Yeah, it's been kind of crazy. I, the end of August in 23, I walked away from full-time ministry uh, and basically jumped without a net. Um, and, uh, you know, people say, what do you miss the most? And I went, a salary, you know. <laughs> I, I, uh, uh, and But God's been good. I mean, we, we just, we're just so blessed. Uh, we moved to Columbia, Tennessee. All of our grandkids are in the area. Uh, but this season of my life, you know, this is the analogy I use, Dave. If you've been in a theme park all day like Disney World or Six Flags and you know you're leaving at 10 and it's 9 o'clock or 8 o'clock, you start thinking about, okay, what are the things we want to do again? Right. What, are our, what are our favorite parts? And, and that's what I'm doing in this season of my life. God's given me a great health. Mm -hmm. I want to do – I want to spend the rest of my life doing the things that I'm really, really, really passionate about. I was passionate about being on a church staff, but now I'm more focused on speaking, on writing. I'm trying to write more songs. I'm trying, I've got books I want to write. I, I'm going into churches and doing uh, weekends with churches. I'm consulting churches. Awesome. I'm coaching worship ministries. The best way people can see what I'm doing, uh, there's a website. You could go to MikeHarlan.com. That, that, it's there. But the, the other name of the website, WorshipEssentialsNetwork.com. And if you go there, you'll see what I'm doing. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm busy. I'm not as busy as I want to be, but... Uh, I'm doing a lot of cool stuff and getting to help a lot of churches do That's worship. Awesome. So it's been great, it's been Dusty. Great. This yep. is why we <laughs> love to tell the story. We do yeah. love to tell the story. Yeah. Thank you so and much. I Thank love, you. I love to tell it with you. That's great. We're glad you were here for this episode of I Love to Tell the Story. Be sure and tune in next time for more with Dusty Wells and Dave Clark. It'll just keep getting better and better. Wait and see. See you next time. <laughs>